Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. This is Brittany Mangelson, and welcome to another episode of Project Zion Podcast. We are going to be chatting with Cheyenne Kurth as part of our Chai Can't Even series, where we talk about being in community of Christ as a young adult, as an adult, and um, figuring out how to live out our principles and our values in this ever-changing world. So I'm actually really excited about this interview because I do not know Cheyenne much at all. Uh, we both kind of admit that we, you know, have secretly stalked each other on Facebook and we've liked each other's posts and things. And so I kind of went out on a limb and I was like, Hey, do you want to be on the podcast? So I'm just really excited. So Jan, why don't you uh, just briefly tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're at general, uh, just stuff. And then we're going to dive on into the interview. Awesome. Uh, I first super excited to be here and uh, appreciate you reaching out. Absolutely on board for just having a conversation. Uh, like you said, my name is Cheyenne Kurth, and I am a fourth generation Community of Christ member, uh, grew up and still live in Austin, Texas. I went away to college uh, to Indiana and then immediately came right back. And I work right now as a school counselor in a Title I school here in Austin in the Del Valley area, which if you've ever been to the Austin airport, you've been to Del Valley. Uh, and that's kind of my story. Um, live here, uh, have a wife, no kids, lots of pets and live in the dream. Awesome. I love it. I'm so excited to have this conversation. So you said that you were fourth generation community of Christ, which I'm assuming we can interpret that to mean that you grew up community of Christ, uh, that you were Uh, active and involved in the church as a kid. So I'm wondering how that looked for you. So did you attend camps? How were you treated as a kid? I'm always interested in that question because I think that Community of Christ, you know, in certain pockets does a really, really good job at empowering our youth. And so, you know, was that you? Like, were you mentored? Did you feel like you were supported in your congregation? Was the camping program strong? Just kind of talk to us a little bit about growing up in Community of Christ. Absolutely. I was incredibly lucky to grow up where I did in Community of Christ. The Austin congregation, I think one of our great values is they really, really value kids and they really value the voice of kids and they make sure kids know that they have a voice and that it's worth listening to. And so that really was foundational to growing up in the church with me. We always had adults that were willing to do classes with us, that were willing to sign up for youth activities. We were incredibly lucky. And I know this isn't true for everywhere in the church, but we were incredibly lucky to have a robust amount of youth. Uh, I think growing up, we had between seven to 10 youth all in the same kind of age group. So we were having lock-ins at church. We were helping with our church's breakfast program. We were having services that the kids were in charge of. Um, I absolutely participated in the camping program from age seven to graduating high school. I went every summer. It was I keep using the word foundational, but it was such a foundational part of my life and my faith journey. Um, 
we were really lucky in Austin um, and in the Texas area, I guess, to have some really robust youth ministers from the, the Transformation 2000. We, I was in that cusp um, when we had some dedicated youth ministers. And I think that was really important to us and really important to why we have so many of our young adults that are still active in the Austin congregation um, because there was a lot of dedication to making sure we knew we had a place in the church and we had things to share. Um, the one thing I think that's kind of special about Austin that I don't know happened anywhere else was we're such an open congregation that growing up they really encouraged a lot of exploration of not just community of Christ, but of other faiths as well. Um, the Sunday school class I remember the most was when I was in middle school. Um, one of our, our leaders in the church offered a world religions class to our youth group. And so we learned very respectfully about different religions and then went during that Sunday school hour and participated in um, we went to a Hindu temple and went through one of their rituals. We went to a Buddhist temple and went through that. So that foundation of not just you have a voice, but then also the foundation of exploration was a big part of growing up in community of Christ. And I think that's been vital to why I'm still here and where I'm at in my faith journey. So I love that you pointed out that uh, you think that there's a, a sizable amount of young adults in your congregation today because of how you were all nurtured and grew up in the congregation. Um, and I think that that is so important because when younger kids, when, when teenagers, when kids are really brought into the congregation as part of the congregation, not as like this add-on or this side thing, it really fosters, um, you know, like an ownership of the congregation and this shared sense of responsibility. And uh, it, yeah, it sounds like that that is what the experience in Austin has been like. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So I know that it's not always super common to go back to, you know, your quote unquote home congregation, but it sounds like that, yeah, you grew up in the Austin congregation, you're still there. So what did your church involvement in college look like? I mean, did you go away or were you engaged in church life, et cetera? Um, how was your church involvement in college and things? And here's where I'm just going to step in it and hopefully not offend the wonderful people of the Evansville, Indiana congregation of Community <laughs> of Christ. So I went to school in Evansville, Indiana, which is just, it's at the time was the third largest city in Indiana, but it only has 120,000 people. And I'm coming from the metropolitan bubble that is Austin. Uh, and then I went to what I would call almost rural Indiana. Uh, and I think I found face first, fell face first into what not having a dogmatic church means regionally. Uh, and so I came from a congregation that was very open, very progressive, um, sometimes to, you know, to the level of discomfort for some of our members, but a very progressive urban congregation that was kind of moving and shaking to 
you know, I called it like they were some of the most wonderful people I have ever met. Good, like salt of the earth, lovely, lovely people. But Sundays looked incredibly different. Um, I grew up in a congregation where women were at the forefront of our congregation. Um, women preached, women led the congregation. We had a female pastor um, to a congregation where there was maybe one female speaker through the entire quarter rotation. Um, and not that there weren't women there and they did offer wonderful testimony and wonderful connection in a community sense. They really reached out. They were wonderful to me when I came in, they picked me up from college and drove me to the, to the, the, church, but I will fully admit that my attendance was about a semester and I, I couldn't really hang with the hymn sandwich of just, it was a struggle for me. Um, and it wasn't anything they did. It was just a different way of worship that didn't really fill my cup. Uh, and I, at that time was taking religion classes in university. And so I feel like that, um, became more of my faith journey in college was I on a whim decided to take the elective God suffering and evil where they talked about like theodicies and like grappling with those really big subjects of like how can God be all loving and all powerful but then bad things still happen and so for me that became where I filled my cup of you know these intellectual discussions that I was having with my peers and with religion professors and we actually um in one of those classes studied uh Bob Mesley's book uh from Community of Christ so there was still a little bit of Community of Christ filtered in uh, as we talked about process theology but I did kind of move away from the church I, I call it my my Methodist sabbatical because it was a Methodist university and I you know, tried being Methodist for a while. And that was what college was for me. I wasn't as uh, participatory in community of Christ, but it was a really interesting eye opener in how different our church can look in different parts of the country. Um, because I think if you took the Evansville congregation and the Austin congregation and tried to put them together, it would be a learning curve for both of those groups of people. And we have a lot to learn from each other. I'm, I don't wanna elevate one over the other. It was just a different worship style that filled different needs. Well, and that's so interesting because I'm assuming, well, I mean, as a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, I'm sure that that just added another layer. And I mean, I haven't really asked you about that, but like, how was that? I mean, to, to know that there's, I mean, and I don't know like when you came out or anything, but like yeah. to know that there's like, not only are you a woman and it sounds like, you know, the ministry of women was not at the same level of ministry of men, but then to know that you're also a gay woman. And I'm just assuming that that was also uh, not a super comfortable experience when you're like, okay, so I came from this big progressive congregation that supported me to then like not knowing anyone and having this big cultural difference. Yeah. I, I have a funny story about it. And I, again, I really hope that it's not offensive to anyone listening because it's all meant with great love, but the first Sunday I attended, there was a Sunday school class and it was me and one other youth, uh, there. And the 
the teacher was like, oh, we're going to talk about Ruth. And I was like, great. There's no way for me to step in it with Ruth. Like I will just keep my mouth closed and like get to know people. And like Ruth is a safe scripture. And so we read through um, the scripture of Ruth. And, and then the first question that the, the leader brought up was, well, and so let's talk about um, same-sex marriage in the church and what the church is grappling with right now. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> like I am going to just start my first day with these people establishing myself as that like super liberal person. And to her credit, like, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think I it was, I was a little less outspoken then. But it was something of like, I really think that's where our church should be headed, like inclusion, acceptance. Like, I think that's really important. Um, and I think I took the, the leader a little bit by surprise. And she was like, oh, well, you know, as long as it's somebody who's in the church. And that was the first time I had ever encountered the idea that you were supposed to marry someone who was community of Christ or at the, you know, Previously, RLDS, it was pretty close to the name change. So that was my kind of stepping right into the thick of it, um, culture shock of, oh, it's a whole different world here. And, and they were incredibly gracious, incredibly welcoming. They didn't change anything of accepting me once they knew those were my views, but it definitely was within the first five minutes, we knew we were... <laughs> having a different conversation with each other <laughs> well and then you're like I mean for me I would I would be like great I just put this scarlet a on my chest right. <laughs> like, I'm not branded it's this like oh goodness yeah that's that's a little intense <laughs> yeah and I mean I just and I'm sure those conversations happened it yeah in my congregation here in Austin, but I had just never heard that idea. We, we joke now that like, you can't marry somebody who's in the church because then we never grow as a congregation. Like all of the growth in our congregation has been young adults in our congregation, marrying other people and dragging them to church. So that's our conversion story. Like, we're just like, you got to go marry somebody who isn't community of Christ. And then you have to bring them to church. So we have more members. (laughs) oh gosh and at some point yeah you're like okay the dating pool is getting pretty small (laughs) oh this is not sustainable friends yeah like we gotta we gotta that's how we gotta bring people in that's the future of the church everybody marry somebody else and convert them oh goodness yeah that would be uh yeah another layer of cultural shock where you're like okay the conversations here are a little bit different than the ones we have back at home (laughs) yeah and that's what it was and again I mean wonderful people but we were in definitely different places on our faith journey and I think it did to go back to my favorite word of this interview it was like foundational to like my understanding of being like your journey is no less valid than mine, even though we're in totally different places, like super kind, super welcoming, dedicated members of community of Christ who really had testimonies and genuine beliefs, but were willing to engage in community with this like liberal progressive kid that just showed up and was like, here I am. Like, these are my beliefs. And they were just like, cool, let's go. Like, 
we'll pick you up and bring you to church in the snow. They were, they were great people. So. Yeah. And I think that that highlights something that I absolutely love about community of Christ. Like even my own congregation in Salt Lake, I mean, we are all relatively on the same page as far as theology goes, but I, every once in a while I sit back and think, you know, if this were any other context, these are folks that I probably wouldn't you know, some of them are, are folks that like our paths wouldn't have crossed. Like these are folks that I wouldn't just naturally find myself gravitating towards. And so in community of Christ, because we do have such a diversity in beliefs and in culture, it really creates, um, just a community that is diverse. And as long as they're respectful, I mean, that's, yes. where, you know, yes. Um, then it can work out really well if we're willing to listen to one another, if we're willing to put our biases um, aside and just listen to each other. I mean, it it can work out, um, even if there is a great deal of discomfort um, or culture shock. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's that's the reason I think that I am still a member of this church. I think that real engagement and encouragement to engage with like where you are in theology and like discuss these topics, think about these things, not the, you have to believe this or you can't be a member of our church. Because if I had that, I don't think I could be a member of a church that told, because my brain is wired to question and to think about and to, you know, let's discuss that. What are the implications of that? What's that going to mean? And the fact that Community of Christ says you can wrestle with this stuff. And in fact, being a faithful follower means that you're wrestling with this. You're not just taking it on blind faith of somebody told me I have to believe this. So I'm believing this. I think that's really important. And I'm noticing that as I talk to other young adults, that that is kind of a through line for all of us is that idea of being encouraged to question and debate and wrestle with is what keeps us with this faith movement as opposed to something that's more dogmatic, more top down. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me, when I converted to community of Christ, seeing folks like you who were born and raised in the church, you know, I had this vision of what kind of humans community of Christ produced, what kind of adults. And I was just so impressed with all of my peers, my contemporaries, and just seeing how strong and empowered they were and how they were raised in a community that was, um, that allowed for questions and personal exploration. And I recognize like, that's what I want for my kids. You know, this might be a good community for me, but to, have a place where my kids are faced with diversity and they're encouraged to ask questions and they're encouraged to get out of their own little bubble, whatever that looks like for them. And to face some amount of encouraging opposition to their own worldview. Like that was really important for me. And so thank you for sharing all of that, because that, that is what I was able to recognize when I was just stalking all of you on Facebook. <laughs> And, you know, being like, okay, what kind of adults does this church produce? Because if I'm going to bring my kids here, I want to make sure that, you know, they're empowered, capable folks. And that's what I've repeatedly found, um, even with folks who are not currently engaged in church life, you know, in like congregational 
life on a Sunday. Um, I really think that so many of, you know, the millennials that Community of Christ has produced, particularly that's, you know, our generation, but you guys are just awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But no, I, I do think it comes a lot from that dedicated engagement with kids and that dedicated, um, encouragement of a voice and saying like, you have valid things to say and people are going to listen when you talk. Um, I think that's, I think everybody in our congregation right now is obsessed with for everyone born the hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the lines that's really important to me is the, you know, for young and for old, a place at the table. And I think that that's something community of Christ does well, is it lifts up the voices of kids and it lifts, lifts up the voices of our elders and they learn from each other. And I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, thank you for sharing that. So I'm a little bit curious now just about your personal timeline. So you're in Indiana, you're realizing that not every congregation is like the Austin congregation. So where do you go from there? I mean, what took you back to Austin and um, what got you re-engaged? Just continue to tell your story pretty please. Absolutely. So I um, spent four wonderful years in Evansville, Indiana, really thankful for my university journey, um, that engagement with uh, theology as kind of an intellectual exercise was really important for me, I think, too, like having a religion minor and um, asking those big questions. And then I came back to Austin right after I graduated. Um, I loved the weather in Indiana. The people were great, but I'm a Texas girl at in the end of the day. And so I came home um, and I worked uh, for AmeriCorps right after I kind of jumped in. My degree was in political science and you you can be an unpaid intern, you can go to grad school or you can kind of do volunteer work. And so I um, didn't want to do any more school and I didn't want to be unpaid. And so I was almost unpaid and I volunteered for AmeriCorps and that was great. Uh, It brought me home and then I will fully admit after school, my grandparents made me a deal that they said, if you come to church, we will buy you lunch afterwards. And I said, free food is great. And so for the first, you know, I would say first bit, um, it was definitely just to get free lunch and to hang out with my church family was really important to me throughout college. They sent care packages. They sent salsa to Indiana, which is great because Indiana doesn't know what salsa is. And, um, kind of they took care of me throughout that that journey and then so coming home was nice to see the people theology wise it was just to get a free lunch and then um as I kind of re-engaged with the church family you know it's kind of through osmosis you sit there and you listen even though you are pretending that you're not listening um and then somebody at some point and I don't know who it was um but somebody was like, hey, why don't you talk this Sunday? And I was like, eh, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not, not a priesthood member. You know, I'll coordinate a service. I can coordinate everybody. That's one of my skills, but talking eh. And they were like, no, why don't you talk? And so I volunteered for that, was able to sit and like craft a sermon um, and then presented that sermon. And I think I was hooked because I really enjoyed 
that exploration. Uh, I've always enjoyed public speaking, but I think there's something special about, uh, again, going back to the things that make Community of Christ special. I think there's something special about lay people presenting sermons and being able to present their testimony and, and their thoughts on the word. And so um, that kind of re-engaged me um, pretty significantly. And then after that, the dates kind of get muddled because what is time lately? Uh, but at some point I, uh, was able to join the exploration group, um, here in Texas, which was young adults, uh, and some older adults as well, getting together over the course of two and a half years. Um, and we would meet once a quarter in Austin, Dallas, or Houston, and then do kind of a weekend deep dive into some pretty sticky theological subjects. And that kind of fed that part of my brain that really enjoys discussion about theology and discussion about belief um, and enjoys being challenged in the things that I believe. Um, Cause I think we can get comfortable in our beliefs, especially if you're in kind of an echo chamber, which I fully admit uh, a lot of times in Austin, we have some voices that are a little this way and some voices that are a little that way, but overall we're pretty all on the same page. And so, um, sermons are thought provoking, but not necessarily challenging, if that makes sense. Um, so it was great to, to meet with people who, just an example, people who really engaged with the book of Mormon. And that was really important to them before the exploration group, I had not encountered that because it's not something we pick up a lot in Austin. Um, but to be able to hear the testimony of people that that book means a lot to was fascinating and, and really enlightening for me because it was just not part of my faith exploration. Um, so that class was really great. And then kind of continued my engagement. And then I was lucky enough to participate in the next faithful step with Larry and Dave Nee um, that kind of went on this past year where young adults, we met on Zoom once a month and did that same kind of theological discussion. So that's kind of where my traverse took me in Community of Christ. But that's really cool that you were still able to reconnect in a, in a congregation that, you know, you were familiar with, that you felt safe in, that you could be yourself. And yet you were still able to connect with people who, again, had diverse opinions and uh, explored different, I don't know, corners of the church mm -hmm. or history that, you know, like have always kind of been around. I mean, obviously the Book of Mormon's always been around, but if, if you hadn't, you know, encountered it a whole lot, then you can have conversations with people who, like you said, it's a meaningful text for. And again, like, it's not a threatening thing. It doesn't threaten no. your faith. It doesn't, you know, you're not threatening to them. I just, yeah, I, I, I just really appreciate that you're pulling out the, um, the threads of our community that are really respectful and diverse at the same time, you know, and it's like, it, it, people don't have to be threatened that the book of Mormon maybe doesn't mean as much to you as it does to them. And that's not, you know, negating their place at the table, but you can sit and learn from each other and have dialogue in a respectful way. So I feel like I'm just repeating myself, but you're hitting so many points that I'm like, yes, this is why I love community. <laughs> but no, I think it is. And I, um, you know, 
just in my congregation, I you know, we have a couple people here and a couple people there. We, we talk about, like, we have people who speak on Sunday who are full into faith healing, are into angels among us, you know, which, and, and like full evangelical. And to me, that is uncomfy. You know, I'm, that's not me. I'm not there. That's not my strength. Uh, I'm a big, like, let's just make room. And if they want to sit down, they can, like, we're not going to force them to. Um, But then on the other end, we also have our, you know, my wife is one of them. So I feel like I can call her out, but we have a little contingent in our congregation and people that have been in the congregation for years too, who, you know, are self-avowed atheists. And they're like, we're here for the community, not the Christ. But the fact that both of those sides, and then also, you know, those of us somewhere along the spectrum in the middle, we all come together on Sunday, we all eat potluck together, we all go to each other's events, like that community, I think, is really special. And I don't think it's something that happens a lot of other places than community of Christ. And I think that's what brings people, especially younger people, young adults, to our faith movement and keeps us here. And I think it's something we should celebrate a little bit more loudly than we do as a church movement. (laughs) Absolutely. It's honestly one of my favorite things. I know several couples where one is a proud proclaimed atheist and the other is a more traditional or, you know, whatever, whatever label they would want to put believing member Mm -hmm. um, or believing seeker. And yet they're like, we both have a place here. We both in our diverse uh, belief system, we both can find a home in community of Christ. And I just think like, what a, what a great badge of honor. Like that kind of sounds cheesy, but it is like, I, I don't know of very many other institutions that truly allow for that amount of space. And again, it's a really fine line because you know, we're talking about really dearly held beliefs and we're talking about Absolutely. really tricky theological beliefs that might, you know, be harmful to other people. And, and I, I will say, that's why I'm grateful that we have scripture that very mm-hmm. plainly lays out how scripture should be used and how it should not be used to harm, etc. But yeah, when community is done right, when community of Christ gets that community part right. I think it's just brilliant. And I love, absolutely love seeing it. So. Yeah. I, um, just a side tangent, but yeah, the fact that like, it's incredibly meaningful to me that I was able to be married in the church to my atheist wife by a pastor in our church and the entire congregation attended like just that, And nobody ever was like, well, are you, is she going to get baptized? Are you going to convert her? Like, it was never a discussion. And I really appreciated that as well, that it's just the acceptance of people where they are in their faith journey or lack of faith journey, just where they are as a human, I think is, is special. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it, I think that it just takes so much pressure off of members and friends of the church. And so then we can just all sit together and enjoy one another's company because there's not that foundation of, you know, Oh, we got to convert them or we got to change their way of thinking, or we've got to, you know, we, we can just get to know each other for who we are and appreciate each other for who we are. And there's not that, 
<laughs> that like underpinning of you're actually wrong. So I'm going to be benevolently kind to you. But in reality, I'm, I'm waiting to- for the moment I can just get you exactly that bait and switch yeah. where you're like, okay, now you're a Christian, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it just, it creates, I think, a really authentic, just honest, transparent community, again, when it's done right, so. Right, absolutely, and delicately, because it is a, it's a delicate thing. Yeah, yeah, oh, arduous, creating community is arduous, as yes. the Doctrine and Covenants says. So, um, okay, so you talked a little bit about being married in the church. Can I ask how your experience was during national conference? Were you watching that play out? So, like, how did that go? Yeah, so um, I did watch national conference um, and watched it play out. It was, I actually got married later. I got married in 2016, so it had had become legal countrywide at that point, but national conference, I can't express how meaningful it was to be affirmed as part of a faith movement, um, to be affirmed as a person that was, you know, even if it's not legal, we can, you know, do the ceremony. We can, you know, we affirm you as being worthwhile. We affirm you as, um, valid members of, of this community. And, there are still, I have, I have a lot of friends because of that religion minor in other faith traditions that I keep up with through Facebook. And there are other faith traditions that are still struggling through that. And I see the hurt it inflicts on their members. Um, I see it shut down voices that have testimonies that have, um, pastoral offerings to give people that that would be in the priesthood of these different religious faiths and have such depth of of God in them to offer to other people but they are being shut out of it and so it is such a source of pride for me that we work to uplift those voices that we you know boldly say you know we believe in the worth of all persons we believe in the ability of people in the LGBTQ plus community to provide ministry, to be married, to participate fully in church life. And I think that is a really powerful position that we don't even realize how powerful it is to offer to other people. We had um, a member come visit our congregation a few years ago um, and he sat with us and it was New Year's Eve. And so it was our, it was our New Year's day service. So he sat with us, you know, we, we were in this congregation. It was a communion service. He was giving communion, you know, I'm always kind of like, Oh no, are we talking too much about ourselves? Are we chasing this person off? Like, you know, I, I get to in my head whenever we have a visitor. Um, and then he left pretty much after the service really quickly and left. And then he wrote an email to the congregation about how he was a member of the LDS faith. And that was the first time he had been offered communion in a decade. And the meaningfulness of being offered communion. Uh, And so I think that really 
speaks to that opening the table and allowing people to sit with us um, and affirming their humanity and their self-worth. Uh, and then it was actually kind of fitting. I was at camp when the Supreme Court ruling. And so like four of the counselors, I was the director that week and like four of the counselors came up and were like, did you see, did you see? And so having the church community there with me to celebrate, you know, the national legalization was also great. So just that affirmation of the church of you are worthwhile is such a powerful thing. And I, I wish we shouted it from the rooftops because um, I think there's a lot of healing that needs to be done between not our church necessarily, but the church capital C as a whole and the LGBTQ community um, to be told for so long that, you know, God doesn't love you. Your lifestyle is a sin. Um, there's so much power in saying you are worthwhile and worthy the way that you are. God made you the way that you are and God loves you the way that you are. And not only that, but you are affirmed as a person in the eyes of God. That's such a powerful statement. And I, I think sometimes we sleep on it and I wish we didn't as much. Mm, amen. Thank you for sharing that. And you're right, that's me on my soapbox. I'll step off it now, but no. And I think it's so important. And I, uh, yeah, I wish that we were louder about it as well. Um, I think that, you know, community of Christ has made really good progress mm -hmm. and I'm hopeful that that progress will continue and that we'll be more comfortable with our private stances and that we'll be able to articulate it in a more public way because it's important. And knowing that religions can and do cause so much harm, I think when the work of reconciliation is again, done right and done well and done thoroughly, uh, we should be able to be very public about that. And so I, I do think that there still is work to do in community of Christ, because I think that we're quietly excited about queer inclusion. And we recognize that we are a global community. And so mm -hmm. the talking point is that, you know, not everyone is there and, and like, I get that, but I, I do think that when we have voted to expand a place at the table that we really truly should be able to be proud of that. And so, yeah, thank you for uh, sharing your experience and then also like nudging us uh, to just not be so quiet about it and to be able to articulate, you know, this is a process that we went through in the United States and many, many other countries uh, through common consent. It's scripturally based, um, you know, it's theologically sound and we've done the work to get there. And now there's still more work to be done as far as reconciling those two communities and just being able to, um, fully live out who we, we say we're going to be. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I do say, I have to say, you know, this idea that you were at camp and that you were directing and people came up to you and they were so excited, like that just, that warms my heart because to be excited for the LGBTQIA plus people in your life to me shows the depth of relationship that you had um, that it wasn't just like this, you know, box that was checked off and, oh, whatever, you know, like they actually came together and celebrated with you like that. That's really, um, heartwarming to hear. I was just like, oh, 
people when <laughs> no it was it was I you know it's it's one of those you know core memories that I have of just you know and it was in the middle of theme class when we're doing music and the kids are dancing and so the kids are celebrating and uh in a different way but then like the little congregation in the back of of people it was it was wonderful it was yeah. wonderful. I love it oh this has been such a great conversation let's keep it going a little bit. I, okay, yeah, I'm here. This is, yeah, this has just been great. Um, so yeah, thank you for telling your story and, you know, kind of what brought you back to community of Christ, what keeps you staying. So I'm, I am wondering though, if you can speak a little bit to, because again, it sounds like your congregation really did do a good job empowering you, making sure that you knew that you had a voice. Um, but that were there like specific, leadership skills that you learned or, um, you know, just like actual stories that you can tell about how you were empowered as a kid and as a young adult? So, um, the story that comes to mind, I I spent all this time talking about my congregation, but then I'm going to switch to camp really quick, but because I do think another special thing about community of Christ is our camping culture is phenomenal. And I think it's something that's really special. Um, but we had a youth minister here in the Texas area. His name was Roy Marley. Um, who I think if you asked any millennial youth, um, the one person that was really foundational to their, to their faith journey, I think his name would come up for every single one of them. He was the first one who really, brought in the idea that uh, faith and God and all of this was supposed to be a raucous, joyous, kind of crazy radical thing. And the idea of like being a part of this community and, and following God and, and trying to live a Christ life like and life and making community and all of that, it's it's radical. It's a crazy thing. Like if you jump in with both feet. You do not know where you're going to end up on the other end. Um, and so he, he really leaned into that idea. And then he presented something to me that's been important. My entire faith journey was the idea of what does Jesus look like to you? And the idea that Jesus is so different to every single person that encounters, um, the divine, for Roy, his Jesus, he told us, you know, was crazy haired guy on a bicycle listening to Jimmy Buffett in a Hawaiian shirt. Uh, and so that was like his idea. And so for me, that became the foundation of asking that question throughout my faith journey of who is Jesus to me right now? Uh, right now, the Jesus I'm most identifying with is like, temple money changers, Jesus, like I'm over here braiding a whip to get you guys out of the temple. Jesus is right now in my faith journey. That's where I'm at. That's not where I've been before. It's not where I'll be in the future, but that idea of let me check in and that this can change throughout your life. And that's okay. I also think we did have youth services and they weren't youth services flipping back to Austin. Now they weren't youth services where it was like, and now the kids are going to stand up at the front and sing a song. It was the youth guided by their youth minister are going to plan this entire service, including the sermon portion. And the sermon portion was never a sermon. It was usually like 
a thought-provoking theological question. Who is Jesus to you? What does love look like? Question like that. And then having kids answer that question to the congregation and then the congregation afterwards responding to them the same way that you do when it's, you know, somebody who gives a sermon coming up saying, thank you for your message. I really liked what you said. Just kind of that intentional affirmation of like the stuff you said was valuable. Um, and then also that then led to that skill and planning of like, here's what it looks like. Here's what, here's how we access the worship helps. These are the songs that they suggest, which ones do you think fit better? So that cultivation of, of turning it over. And I'm sure it was really hard for the adults in our congregation. Cause now as like a young adult, I'm like, are we sure? Like, <laughs> they're very small. Like, are we sure we want to just give it all? To but I think that leap of faith that they took was, was powerful and just kind of laughing at the mistakes because they're going to be hiccups. You know, there was a phrase somebody I read somewhere and I'm going to paraphrase it and mess it up and not quote the right person, but they said, you know, the sound of kids in the congregation means your congregation is alive. You know, we sometimes want to shush kids and be like, you know, please don't run up there when your grandfather is, is giving the sermon, you know, you shouldn't be running around in the congregation, but that idea that that's really what keeps our church alive, um, I think is important. I'm not sure that I answered your question at all. I think I just went on a tangent, but no, you absolutely did. And I must say thank you because I recently became the worship coordinator in my congregation and I'm now going to have the kids plan a service like this. It's so, you know, the one great thing about it is they're only like 30 minutes long because kids are quick and they don't have time for silly other things. So everybody gets to lunch early. It's great. Um. Oh, that's just so exciting. And I mean, like, again, what a way to allow the next generation to take ownership and to take part of you know, again, like not to be a side, a side thing, but to actually yeah. be part of the congregation and, you know, in community of Christ, this aligns with our identity so well, because once a kid is baptized, I mean, they have voice and vote yeah. and a full voting member. Like, yeah. Thank you for that idea. Um, I'm absolutely going to use it. <laughs> I will say, I, I know I kind of, if, if it hasn't come across the, the latter day roots of our tradition is kind of an uncomfy place for me. I don't usually spend a lot of time there. It wasn't a part of my upbringing, but I will say one thing that stuck out to me that was important was Roy at camp brought up once at a senior high camp. He was like, you know, Joseph Smith was 15 when he started our church. And, you know, we can go into the, all of the theology of how it split off and all of that, but just that idea of like, teenagers, kids, like you are valid members of this congregation with things to offer. And this community needs your voices to keep us progressing. I, that's. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, just to be clear, I'm glad that you said that the Latter-day part of our <laughs> church is not like your most comfortable spot because yeah, I'm kind of there as well. I mean, I, that was my heritage growing up Mormon, obviously, but that's not what drew me to community of Christ, right? Like who we are today is something that I'm so excited about and fascinated that all of these different 
um, expressions of Joseph Smith's original theological ideas have formed into just radically different ways and places. And we've all ended up in different places. And yeah, who community of Christ today is definitely, um, I think at this point in history, our best selves, we're living our best life. You know? <laughs> I agree with you. Yes, absolutely. I, I think we have growth to do, but yes, I, there's a reason that I am a member of this church and not a different church. And, and that's, it's who we are today and not who we were 20 years ago, a hundred years ago. It's, it's who we are today and where we're looking towards going. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Amen, sister. So I think we've kind of touched on this, you know, a decent amount, but what do you think are the benefits of religious communities in society today? Our generation stereotypically is becoming more disenfranchised with organized religion. Um, but it sounds like you are still interested in sitting in the pews and being part of ministry on the ground. So what are the benefits that you see of still being involved in our faith community? I will be honest that I think if I was a member of a different faith movement, I would be there with the rest of, of my generation. I fully understand uh, where people come from with their disenfranchisement and uh, especially being a member previously have said of the LGBT community, I, I see a lot of the trauma there, but what the benefit I find from it goes back to the community. It goes back to that support system, that faithful engagement with people who have different stories than you. Um, and I think that there is something special about gathering together with intention to be a part of that community. You know, I, I, I don't know that I'll go so far as to say, like, I think that's where God is the most present because for me, a lot of times it's not necessarily, you know, I, I can't say that I'm a person that finds God the most in the four walls of the church, but I do think that there is God there and it's worth cultivating that community to continue that work, if that makes any sort of sense. Um, the idea that we all come together with the same goal uh, and we come from different walks of life with different experiences coming together in an intentional way, I think provides something that you don't get by going to brunch on Sunday. So sometimes I do that because sometimes we worship at the table of brunch and that is what we do. Um, but I do think there is something special in the communities that we create. And that's some days I, I go to church more for the community than the Christ, but I think that that's valid too and a valid engagement with religion and organized religion. I do think we have the ability as organized religion, especially the community of Christ, we've, we've talked about it, but to start repairing that harm that a lot of religion has done to a lot of people. Like just logistically, I'm like, we want to know where we could get more people from. I'm like, there are people desperate for a church family that need the message that we have. But like you've said, we kind of are quiet about the radical positions that we have in this church. And they are radical for a church to come out and say, all are worthy 
unity and diversity all are called like that is an incredibly radical statement if we parse down through what that means uh and it's an uncomfortable thing it can be like i feel like the stretching and growing that comes with saying everybody is called to be a part and and provide things uh, i think we have that calling as a community to reach out to those people that have been disenfranchised that have been hurt and start to repair that trauma i think that's a real space that we have to grow as organized religion and i think something we could do as a church is to say we know you were hurt before we can't promise to fix it but we can at least promise you a place where you're welcome at the table even with those hurts we want to listen to them and start that healing process. Thank you for that. And when I think of, you know, our little tagline of the temple, that it's a place of reconciliation and healing of the spirit, I, there's so much potential there and there's so much collective work to do. And there's so much mess and baggage, especially that a restoration church has, mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that, you know, there has been hurt on the more progressive side, there's been hurt on the more conservative side. And this being in Latter-day Seeker ministry, it's something that I feel like I'm faced with a lot is like, how do we reconcile our collective past um, our contemporary history, you know, just the last few years and how do we actually be a community of reconciliation? And I think that there's so much work to be done and yet, you know, we have the tools. I just, I, I hope that into the future we can do that work and we can be louder about our place of inclusion and not to try to win people back, but to say we're sorry and to really live out the principles. Like you said, you uplifted several enduring principles. Like that's, that's a, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it is radical. I've recently come across some other statements of faith, um, of, of other religions that are very, very, very much the opposite of who we are. And it's, uh, you know, like, some theology is just like straight out of the handmaid's tale. And it's, it's like, we actually have a, a counter view of Jesus and a counter view of scripture and a place that worships a God that is loving and inclusive and caring and nurturing and wants to heal the world and bring peace. And I think that that is a message that is so needed right now, especially in our polarized world. And so it, this is just a constant struggle for me of like, how do we take our own baggage of our history and of our harmful past and theology? And then how do we actually live out our principles and be the church in the world today? Like this, I mean, these are, this is massive stuff and this is what everyone's talking about. And it's just like, oh, there's so much potential here. We just got to like put our brains together and go do it, go do the work. So I really like the way that you articulated all of that. I think step one is we got to make, we've been trying to figure it out in Austin. We haven't made it happen yet, but we got to put our enduring principles on signs and we have to put them outside our churches. Like I wish we, I love the enduring principles. I 
I really engage with them as a faithful document. I really, they're really important to me in my faith journey and, and are part of what keeps me here. And I wish that we talked about them more outside of our church. And I think that we should just hang them from our church building so people can read them as they walk past. Absolutely. And, you know, I think if I walked past a church that was like, all are called unity and diversity, I'd be like, I'm curious enough to go into that church. Like, yeah, stop hiding it on our website. Like, let's throw it out there. It should be on church signs. Like, let's go. Yeah, that's such a good point because, and I, I think I've shared this before, but when I get talking to friends who have walked away from religion and, or family members that have walked away from religion, when we start talking about the values that we hold or, you know, the, the values that we want to teach our kids or bring into our schools or, um, you know, base our friendships off of, they're talking about the enduring principles. They're just using yes. words. Sometimes they're actually using very, very, very similar, if not exact words, but we're all talking about the same thing. Um, I think that the enduring principles, the values that we have are our biggest asset into creating communities of hope, joy, love, and peace. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the idea to have them publicly facing out loud, proud, because, uh, that's where our theology is. That's where our mission lies. So that's, again, you're just full of great ideas, kids planning services and having the enduring principles being physically public like on our actual buildings and in our spaces. Brilliant. <laughs> we'll be here all week. You've solved all of our problems. This is great. I wish. <laughs> so I just have a couple more questions for you. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges being a young adult in community of Christ? And then just collectively, as we move forward together, what, what do you identify as some of our biggest challenges as a faith community? I think first and foremost, um, it's the balancing of time. And I think that's our, our curse as being a volunteer-based organization for a lot of our congregations. Um, and it, it sounds kind of like an excuse to be like, well, I'm busy. Cause I understand everybody's busy, but especially millennials and young adults, like carving out that time um, to do the work uh, is hard, especially when it's, you know, it's important work. You know, we volunteer right now at our, our church does a, breakfast for the homeless. I think that's a really vital part of our mission, you know, participate in that, but that's one hour, two hours, once a month. Um, I would love for us to be out in the community and doing the reconciliation work, but it's finding the time around life. Um, I think, well, let me just step on toes as I can. I don't think this is an official position from the church at all, but some of the messaging that has come out to millennials uh, has been that a lot of us or a lot of we as a generation are responsible for the financial crisis of the church because we don't give enough money. Uh, And that is frustrating um, because it's just frustrating. It's, it's hard. It's hard out here to, you know, have money dollars. Uh, And I do see a lot of millennials trying to give time and talent to kind of compensate for that. And so I know people are working to 
elevate that that time and talent as equally important. But then I also understand that money is important. Um, and so I think that is kind of a struggle of how can we give more, but then also afford rent in the, <laughs> the world that we live in right now. Um, and then I think it, finally kind of that big struggle is that kind of disenfranchisement away from religion. I, I'm fully aware that Austin is, is an abnormal congregation to have five to 10 young adults that regularly attend and participate. Um, I know that that's not common throughout. And we have, you know, that core group that does get together for um, retreats or gets together for hangouts, um, church sponsored or otherwise, I know that isn't everywhere. And so that balancing the desire to do the work and the desire to move forward and the want to spread all of these great things that we know about and the capacity to do so, I think is the real struggle um, facing facing millennials and facing the future of our church. I think that's that's kind of the crossroads that we're at is we have all this stuff, but who's going to do it? And I think there's kind of a, a passing of the baton. And I, I hope that the young adults of the church, like, are sorry, I hope that the young adults of the church are ready to pick it up. And I think there are people that really are, but I know that there are less of us than there are of of the older generations. And so there's a part of me that's like, we have to start recruiting now because the five of us can't do what the 25 older members currently do. Like there's only five of us, um, but it's not from lack of wanting. And I think sometimes that's the message that young adults get is like, well, if you guys just tried harder and that is a message that's gonna chase people away from the church pretty quick because especially in, you know, pandemic general worldness that exists, like something that adds guilt to people is going to be something that's kind of let go. And I hope that that's not the message that's getting out to people. If that makes, yeah. I am fervently nodding my head. <laughs> like aggressively nodding my head because I absolutely agree. And I think that uh, when I think of the future of the church, it is overwhelming because all the good things that we've just said, we have a ton of really, really exciting theology and a framework to talk about healing and reconciliation and inclusion. And yet there is this pressure on the younger generation, the under 50, the emerging leaders of the church, as I've heard us being called like it. And it's scary because there aren't, um, there isn't the, the focus on organized religion in our generation as there has been in generations past. And people don't just stick with tradition for the sake of sticking with tradition. And so it's like, we have to come up with a compelling reason for people to want to be engaged in church life. And it's like us just being like, oh, it's great. You know, that might not work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, but it's so cool. Just try it. Yeah, I promise you we're cool. <laughs> will you be my friend? Nobody will tell you you're going to hell in my church. Please come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell for our generation. And it's, yeah, 
it's a little bit daunting <laughs> to <Yeah>. say the <laughs> least. Um, but the reverse of that, I guess, would be what gives you hope? What gives you hope for the uh, future of Community of Christ? I find so much hope in where we're going as a church. I think that we really are doing the work to move towards progressive is a loaded term, but I can't think of a different one. So moving towards something more progressive, something more inclusive, something more um, engaging that does speak to a lot of people and fills a void that people have that isn't being filled by something else in their lives right now. I do think there are a lot of people that grew up in the church that want to come, and not just our church, but church capital C, that want to come back to the church, but they don't know where they would be welcome. And so I I do think we have this amazing message of inclusivity. We have this amazing message of faithful disagreement of saying, you can believe what you believe. And that is as valid as somebody who believes something different. We have all of that to offer. And I think that that, as I've said previously, that's really unique and it's really special. And if we can figure out our messaging and get it outside of just our bubble, um, I think it's, it's gonna change the world. I think we really do have the ability to change the discussion of faith in, in our communities, in our larger world where we say, you know, we don't sit here and pray to a wrathful God. We don't sit here and pray to an abusive God. We don't sit here and uphold these traumatic things that have harmed people in the past. And I'm not saying we're perfect and we so have so much work to do about unpacking that. And there are definitely people in our church, I've probably done it myself, where we do still bring up those things that cause people harm. But I feel like we are genuinely working to reconcile that harm. We are genuinely working to recognize what we've done in the past that's hurt people and fix it. And, you know, as a mental health professional in my normal life, that is so important to me, that reconciliation and that work to get better, to to look critically at ourselves and say, hey, we did mess up, like, let's fix it. And that's something I especially think is, is rare in faith communities and and church bodies. So the thing that gives me hope is what we have to offer people. And I, I really think it's a unique message. I think it's a message that fills a hole that is gaping and ready for us to step into it. And I think that it's a special message that is, is divinely inspired. I think God is, is asking for someone to start healing. And I, you know, I'm not into the, we're the one true church because that's just not me as a human being ever or my faith journey. But I do think that we are at the precipice of answering that call. And I think if we are brave enough to step forward into that unknown, knowing that it's gonna be messy, knowing that it's gonna be chaotic, knowing that it's gonna upset people, and be uncomfy for all of us. But if we're willing to lean into it and kind of go off the other side, there is this whole world that needs us uh, and that can be healed a lot by what we have to offer. 
And I think that's really cool. Again, I'm over here just enthusiastically <laughs> nodding my head because everything you said is what gives me hope and what keeps me motivated to remain connected to this faith community. And I think that we do have a lot to offer and we do have an important message that is timeless and relevant and is built on a, a rich culture and a heritage of trying to just be a little bit better than we were the day before. And I think that that is what the world needs. So thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. Oh my goodness. Uh, usually I uh, kind of wrap these up with just a, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? I think we covered a lot of territory, but I also know that I don't know. I could, I feel like I could keep talking for like three more hours. So is there anything else that I didn't ask you or you weren't able to get out in a way that you wanted to just anything else to leave us with? Um, I also could just sit and talk like talking has never been a weakness of like, I, I can talk all day, <laughs> um, especially about things that I'm passionate about, but I appreciate the voice that you're giving to young adults to share our theology and to share beliefs that we have. Uh, if I could leave, you know, one final soundbite to, to anyone listening, it would just be that leaning into the discomfort of trying to be a little bit better and that acknowledging that you didn't do it right the first time is hard, but is an important part of growth. I have to do it all the time. I don't know how often I have reflected on like, oh, that could have gone a lot better. Oh, I messed that up. But instead of seeing that as a, well, I got to give up. I'm out. Like I'm going home. I'm not coming back to church again. Um, seeing that as like, well, I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to make the reconciliations that I need to make. I'm going to do the work of repairing harm. And then I'm going to try to be a little bit better the next day. Um, I think that's how we're going to move forward. And I also hope that Community of Christ is at every pride parade that exists anywhere near a congregation, because I think that that would be really meaningful. Amen. What a good first step at reconciliation, right? And again, we, we have all the tools right there. We have the enthusiasm, you know, among those of us who are really striving to create more inclusive communities. And I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that that is the message that the world needs to hear and the message that gets our generation excited about participating in community. So just a big round of applause for everything you've said, Cheyenne. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, this has been an absolute joy. And I'm glad that um, our internet stalking has now turned into what I would consider a genuine friendship. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thank you again for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying yes and uh, for sharing your story. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy 
or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 